Welcome to A Bigger Life, where you can break through the distractions, stop, listen, and speak to God in prayer. I'm Dave Cover. I want to help you use the Bible as your conversation with God so you can live a bigger life. Twitter, follow us at A Bigger Life Pod on Twitter. That will let you have a reminder of new episodes. There's going to be some content available. We might ask some questions you can respond to that might influence some future episodes. It's a great way to keep in touch with us. So if you want to do that, A Bigger Life, well, you know, with a Twitter, at A Bigger Life Pod is how you would do that. And pod is sort of short for podcast. It's not awesome. But you know how when you make up these Twitter names, you have to come up with something. A bigger life was already taken, so give me a break. If you want to follow me on Twitter, at Dave Cover is my Twitter handle. And again, it's just ways to kind of keep informed about some things. And uh, you can give me feedback. I've gotten some emails from some people that have inspired podcast episodes. Uh, questions they had after a certain episode that I thought, well, you know, it'd be good to come back to that. And so that's it's just a way to kind of keep in communication because we are in some ways developing a little community here through our listeners. Uh, here's a question I have. How, how do you know when it's okay to pray something? You ever wonder that? I mean, you don't, you, 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 what kind of prayers are out of bounds with God? I mean, you're praying to God and yet we have these needs, we have these wants, we have, what's the difference sometimes between a need and a want? And do you sometimes not pray because you figure you should err on the side of not offending God with your request? And I think that's a mistake. And here's why. The gospel writers let us listen in on one of Jesus's most passionate prayers, most physical prayers. The night that Jesus was betrayed, before he was betrayed, remember he went to the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed. The night, so the night before Jesus was crucified, he's getting intense because he knows all that's about to happen. He had been predicting all that was going to happen. He is getting intense in his emotions. He's getting intense in what he says. And he's getting intense now with God the Father. So Jesus needs to get away. And probably for the last time, this is going to be his time to pray. And it's interesting how Luke in particular tells it. He says this in Luke chapter 22, verse 39. It says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. Now, Matthew says that he knelt down with his face to the ground and prayed. And this is what he prayed. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Now, this cup meant this, what's going to happen, this suffering. Lots of reasons why in the Old Testament, Jesus called his coming sufferings this cup. It's a euphemism. It's a biblical euphemism. It's conversation, obviously, that Jesus was having with the Father. So, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me the coming crucifixion, the coming suffering. If you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And then Luke goes on to say, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Now, all the gospel writers tell us that Jesus repeated that prayer three times. It's interesting because Luke says that Jesus went out as usual 
to the Mount of Olives. He's going to the Garden of Gethsemane that's right at the base of the Mount of Olives. And Luke is saying that he did that as usual. It was a usual thing for Jesus to withdraw and to go pray. But this time, his disciples followed him. So having them follow him, he has to separate from them a stone's throw away, it says, which is kind of interesting. I mean, about a stone's throw away, Jesus separates from them, and he knelt down and prayed. And again, we know from Matthew that he prayed with his face to the ground. The intensity of this. So you just have to use your imagination to think what's happening here. Jesus is entering, as usual, his place of prayer at night. This time his disciples follow him, so he separates about a stone's throw away, and they see him fall to his knees with his face to the ground. I think this is an interesting thing because we're seeing Jesus as weak as we've ever seen him in any of the stories in the gospel. and all the other stories in the gospel, Jesus is in control. And it's not like he's not in control here, but he is in a very weak state. And as we listen in on his prayers, it's interesting because we hear how desperate he is, how honest he is. He asks the Father not to have it happen this way, this way that he had been predicting, this way that he had been resolute. When Peter challenges him, remember in Matthew 16, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, for you don't have your mind on God's will, God's interests, but man's. But all of a sudden, we're seeing Jesus, I don't know, uh, want out. And it's interesting because the hero of the story, the hero of the Gospels, suddenly wants out. And to me, it's a faith builder because if you were going to make up a story about a Messiah, I don't think you would have this in it. This very weak moment where all of a sudden, he wants out. And he's praying to, for God to give him a way out. And when we're, when we're able to listen in on this prayer, and it says he prayed it three times, I, I think it shows us something. This has always given me permission to ask God whatever is on my heart. I don't have to wonder, is this an appropriate thing to pray? Because if Jesus could pray to get out of the very reason for which he was born and came, I think that gives me permission to pray anything I want to pray, whatever is on my heart, because that's what Jesus did, whatever is burdening me. I can ask God and not worry about whether or not it's the right thing to ask. Am I out of bounds here? I can just ask away. I can ask anyway. I can ask whatever I want to ask, which is amazing when you really stop to think about it. And there are other verses in the Bible. I'm not just extrapolating this from just reading this story. I read Philippians in the New Testament, chapter 4, verse 5. It says, The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So in every situation, just don't, whatever is causing you to be anxious, you have permission in the word of God to present that as a request to God because it says the Lord is near. God is right here with us. And I think that one of the things that I, I, I want to grow in is this sense that the I am is always in the present with me. I think that's always what God is trying to get us to understand, even in its very name, Yahweh, which means he is the I am, that he is always present. 
And that's what this, that's what Paul is saying here in a different way. The Lord, and again, this is when the term is used, the Lord, that's going on the Greek translation of the Old Testament for Yahweh. I think Paul is playing on that. Yahweh is near. The I am is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, present your request to God. Now he says, with thanksgiving. So I think there's a sense in which we're looking at Jesus's prayer and Jesus says, if it is your will, and then he asks whatever he wants. And I think with thanksgiving is a way of saying that, that God, I thank you that you're near. I thank you that you're, you're with me. And now I can pray whatever I want to pray. And he says, and the peace of, now this is a cliche verse. This is one of these verses we've all heard if we've been a Christian for a long time. And it's just so cliche, it gets a little bit like, yeah, yeah. But just let's read it and let me say something about it. He says the next verse, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, if you're like me, you've prayed things and you don't know, you can't really say the peace of God all of a sudden guarded your heart and mind in Christ Jesus after you prayed something. Uh, That's not been my experience all the time. But I think that if I continue to pray something, in in other words, it's not just a one and done thing. If I'm if I'm burdened by something, anxious about something, and I again I don't have to try to figure out, well, is this something that God wants me to ask? Is this okay? Is this out of bounds? Does God care about this? Is this something I shouldn't care about? Is this a weird kind of selfish request? Is it my problem, my sin that I'm anxious about this? Well, I don't want to pray for God to answer my sin. We don't have to wrestle with all that. I mean, we kind of do. Anytime we're trying to figure out, you know, our motives, that's a good thing to wrestle with. But the first thing we can do is pray. We don't have to wrestle with our motives as the first thing. We can pray first. The Lord is near. And I I have found that when something has burdened me, not after the first time I prayed, not after the second time I prayed, but after I've taken it to God over and over in a in a in a, in this vertical sense of relationship with God I don't have anywhere else to go I'm just going to put this at the feet of God I don't know what he's going to do I don't have any promise of what he's going to do I'm just praying for what I want him to do that there has been a sense in which after that over a period of time I get this resolve in my heart okay God's in control now Whatever God does, it's not going to be for lack of praying that he does or doesn't do it. And so there is a peace. There is a shalom of God, so to speak, that does transcend my understanding of all that's going to happen, my understanding of why God's going to do whatever he's going to do. I can just, after I've presented it to God, there is a sense in which I, okay, it's in God's hands now. And there is a peace that guard, begins to guard my heart and my mind because I know, well, you know what? It won't be for lack of praying, like I said, which is kind of a, a thing that I want to be able to say. Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves, therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. We've talked about this verse before in the Greek language, it actually is a play upon words, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. It's like saying God cares about whatever you care about. So just cast your cares on him, cast your anxieties on him because he cares about you. So it's saying a little bit the same thing Paul said in Philippians 4, 
whatever it is, don't be anxious, but, it, but pray instead. Whatever's causing you to be anxious, that's a request you can make before God. Peter's saying the same thing. Whatever it is you care about, whatever it is that is causing you to be anxious, you have God's permission to pray about it because he cares about you. You don't know what he's going to do with your prayer request, but one thing you do know is that he cares about what you care about because he cares about you. It's interesting because Peter, I think, remembers Jesus's prayer when he says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. I think he's thinking about Jesus falling on his knees with his face to the ground and just at the weakest, most vulnerable moment, he is just humbled before the Father and he's, and he's casting his cares on God. I want to I wanna think of prayer that way, as a humbling of myself. I'm not in control like I think I am. I'm not self-sufficient. I, I don't have this. You got this is not something I should hear. I need to humble myself. Even if I need to go ahead and, and like Jesus, fall to my knees with my face to the ground I, and go vertical, that, that God may lift me up, that the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Because I'm, I'm, I'm praying to him. I'm bringing it to him. I'm going vertical with the things that burden me make me anxious, that I care about. I'm not worried about whether or not I should pray this. I'm just going to go ahead and pray it. Because so often I neglect to go vertical with my concerns. I keep them inside. I'm trying to stew about it. I'm trying to figure them out. I'm talking to other people about my worries or my my concerns, things that make me anxious. It's almost as if it's my last resort rather than my first response. But I want my first response to be the Lord is near. I want my first response to remember God's name, the I am, that he is always 100% present with me. And I want to understand that God cares about whatever I care about. Even if he thinks it's a silly prayer, he cares about me. And so in that sense, there's, there's nothing really silly about something that's causing me to be anxious and he cares about me. So I can go to get on my knees and humble myself and go vertical with the things that are burdening me because there's there's still a submission to God in Jesus's prayer. Now let's think about Jesus's prayer again. He's got this idea, if you are he says before he says take this cup from me. He says if you are willing. And then after he asks God to take the cup from him, to take this suffering from him. Let's find another way. I want out. He's quick to also pray, yet not my will but yours be done. So Jesus asks whatever he wants to ask, even he's asking something, let's be honest, he's asking something that is contrary to the will of the Father for which he came. He's feeling the freedom to do that because he's bookending his prayer with this idea, if you are willing, yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus asks whatever he wants to ask while bookending his prayer with the stated submission to the Father's will. It's been an example for me that I can ask whatever I want to ask, and then I, I, I state that kind of bookended thing because it's good for my heart to wrestle with that. This, well, whatever Jesus knew about the Father, one thing he for sure knew was that the Father's will for his life was definitely going to be his best life. 
Jesus knew the Father, and so he knew the Father's will for him was going to be his best life. And yet, Jesus felt the freedom to say, hey, I, can I get out of this? Is there another way? This is something else. This is, this, I want something different. But he knew that he could trust the Father's will. He knew that he wanted the Father's will. So he asked whatever he wanted, and then he trusted God to do whatever was best, whatever God wanted. But also listen to this. There's that little verse in there in verse 43. Luke says that an angel appeared and strengthened Jesus. It must be nice, right? That you're in agony, you want to pray about something that is burdening you, and an angel appears and strengthens you. Well, that would be that would be a motivation to pray. But then I wonder thinking, I'm just thinking out loud here. I wonder if that does happen sometimes when I pray too. That and you know, this angel was seen by Jesus. It was clear it's clear in the Greek language he he saw the angel. But when I pray to my father in times of desperate need, maybe Maybe he sends an angel to strengthen me too. It, the angel doesn't appear before me for lots of reasons, but maybe invisibly the angel is there to strengthen me in some way. Now, Jesus was still in agony. And in fact, it says after the angel appeared to him and strengthened him, he was in even more agony and began to sweat drops of blood to the ground. So it's not as if the angel strengthening him made all his problems go away. In some ways, he became weaker, but the angel is strengthening his resolve to want the Father's will, to submit to the Father's will in some, in some way. Now, there are verses in the Bible that I think do hint to the fact that when we pray, there can be an angelic presence there with us, strengthening us in some way that we don't see. Hebrews in the New Testament, chapter 1, verse 14 says, actually, it's a question, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? That's all Christians. We will inherit salvation. We are co-heirs with Christ. So the Bible is saying that, that all angels are ministering spirits sent to serve those who are in Christ, who will inherit salvation. I don't know how they serve us. I don't see them. I've never seen an angel. I'm not looking for them. I don't need to see an angel. But in some way, the Bible is saying they are sent to my life, sent to me, to minister to me in some ways, in ways that I don't see. Might that be like Jesus in his prayer, that an angel appeared and strengthened him? Might that be that an angel in some way strengthens me when I humble myself and I come before God in prayer? Jesus even says in Matthew 18, 10, he says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. He's talking about children. And he says, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my father in heaven. Their angels in heaven. Now, I don't know what Jesus means by that, but somehow Jesus was able to say they're angels. These kids have angels. These kids have ministering spirits sent in some way uh, to help them. So I think it's safe to say that Jesus is teaching in some way, I have, you have angels that appear, that see the face of God, that also in some way are our possessive, you know, not, not that we own them, but they are somehow sent to us 
in some way. These are This is obviously a mystery, and I'm not trying to go beyond what the Bible teaches, but I think a lot happens whenever we withdraw to be alone with our Father and pray. Angels? I don't know. I think probably. The God that created and sustains this universe? Absolutely. When we pray, we are coming before the God that created and sustains this universe. If angels are some way ministering to us, that's secondary to the more primary amazement that I'm able to come before the creator of this universe who oversees everything in this universe, and he wants me to call him my father. It says that three times Jesus says, this not my will, but yours be done. That's a hundred percent trust in the Father's will. The degree that I don't have that is the degree that I don't know the Father. Jesus knew something I didn't know because he was able to trust the Father's will 100%, wanted the Father's will 100%. But the agony of Jesus here, I think also shows us that God's will for our lives is in Jesus's agony. Jesus is God who became human so that he could die on the cross and take our sins upon himself, God's punishment for our sins upon himself, and break through the other side of death to become our resurrection, to become the first fruit, the first of a new humanity. And it shows that that God is submissively in the person of Jesus, going through this agony of the suffering of the cross because it shows us God's will for our lives is his steadfast love and faithfulness and goodness. It's another sign. It's an example. It's a, it's a reason that we can trust his will for us in everything. It doesn't make a lot of logical sense to believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus, but then doubt the goodness of his will, the, the steadfast love of his will, the wisdom of his will for us. So here's the thing. It, when you think about prayer, it, right, even right now, is there something you're burdened by right now that you just haven't taken to God? You haven't even thought of that because you're not sure if, if it's something God should care about or cares about. Is it too small? Is it too trivial? Are you wrong to even have that concern? Is there anything that you're burdened by right now? It's tempting you to be anxious right now. It's a care that you have. For whatever reason, you haven't taken it to God, that you could take it to him now. This might be a good time, even right now, to just have a vertical hit. Just look to God now with this concern. What do you want him to do? Don't worry about what he wants in the sense of should you pray it. Do acknowledge that you want his will, but you can ask him for this. Can you also say, not my will, but yours be done? Can you also say, Father, if it is your will, and then pray whatever you want to pray, and then can you say afterwards, not my will, but your will be done? Wrestle with that for a minute. Do you want God's will in this area that's burdening you? Do you, do, are you able to at least 51% choose to want God's will for this? Trust God's will enough to where you can say out loud, not my will, but yours be done. See if you can pray that aloud. And don't worry about having a conflicted heart when you pray it. Because we all have conflicted hearts. We all, we all, none of us, 
you know, want God's will, trust God's will 100% without some sort of self, you know, interest in their doubt. At least that's my experience. I'm just praying in my own experience. I think Jesus is the only one that was able to pray with pure, unconflicted heart, not my will, but yours be done. So don't wait for an unconflicted heart before you pray something. Go ahead and pray it and then be able to at least with 51% conviction say, not my will, but yours be done. So you pray, Father, I pray that you would take this burden from me, that you would do what I'm burdened about in whatever area that you're burdened about right now. This is what I want you to do, Father. I pray that you would do this, that you would change this, that you would alter this, that you would provide this, that you would cause this to happen, that you would take this away from me, that you would change this in some way. If you will, I pray that you would do this, but not my will, but yours be done because your will is perfect. Your will is always right. Your will is always my best life because your will is proven in the agony of Jesus in this garden that you were willing to undergo this suffering so that you could bring me my best life forever in your kingdom, that you could make me a co-heir with Christ of the beauty and the glory and the steadfast love and the transcendence of your recreated world and a resurrected body without sin. You have taken away my sin because of what Jesus faithfully did on the cross. You have taken away my sin so that you could give me my best life. You could give me your will that is always good, always perfect. I think of Psalm 16, verse 2, I have no good apart from you. There is no good apart from you. There is no good outside your will. There is no steadfast love outside your will. There is no joy outside your will. There is no life, restoration, salvation outside your will. Your will is to restore. Your will is goodness and beauty and glory and steadfast love and this transcendent presence of God forever in this resurrected world that no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of anyone imagined what you have prepared for those who love you, those who want to follow you. So I I want to submit to you. I want to be able to say, not my will, but yours be done. You're my king. You're my Lord. You're my God. The forever God is my God forever. What a wonderful promise. What a wonderful peace that guards my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. I don't know how these things are going to turn out that I'm burdened by. I don't know what my future holds in the short term, but I do know what my future holds in the long term. But I do pray, God, that you would do this. I do pray that you would make this happen. I do pray that you would take this away, that you would change it, that you would have it turn out this way. But not my will, but yours be done. 
because your will is life. Your will is my joy. Your will is my best life. And so I humble myself before you, the God that created this universe that I can trust, the wisdom that created this universe that I can trust. And as vast as this universe is, so too is your steadfast love for me. I can't even begin to comprehend it. I just humble myself before you, and I trust that you are near, you are present, you care about what I care about, So you want me to cast all my cares on you. And so I do. I cast them all on you right now. I just give them to you right now. I throw them onto you. Your will be done. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give it a rating so people can find this content more easily or consider texting it to a friend or posting it on social media. Thanks for listening.